Hey, I'm Laura from Berkeley. Hey, I'm Travis Pope from Kirksville, Missouri. I'm Zach from Chicago, Illinois. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is the jazz singer Jose James. His second and third albums are now out. One of them is a mix of contemporary jazz music and house and soul and hip-hop and R&B. It's called Black Magic. The other is a very traditional blend of standards and piano, a collaboration with the jazz pianist Jeff Neve called For All We Know. Let's hear a track from Black Magic. This is Love Conversation, a duet with Jordana DeLovely. I want to talk to Say welcome to the Sound of Young America. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So I, I want to ask you how you uh, how you got into jazz. Um, a, a lot of guys that I know who are about my age or about your age um, got into jazz because they, you know, heard it in early and mid '90s hip hop. W- was that the case for you? Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, Digable Planets, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, Ice Cube, and everybody sampled. Um, you know, all that great. Raw airs and soul jazz and stuff. So that's how it first got into my ear. And then I just investigated the samples, and lo and behold, there was this whole treasure trove of great American music called jazz. Diggable Plants are, are, were one of my favorite groups. And I remember when their first album was really peaking and they were working on their second album that Ishmael Butler, the, the front man and producer of the band, was really uncomfortable with the whole jazz thing. Um, and his standard line was always like, yeah, sure, you know, we sample Roy Ayers, but we also sample Casey and the Sunshine Band. Yeah. Um, what was it about jazz specifically that appealed to you? Well, I think the depth of it was just so cool. Um, the more that you examine it and, and learn about it, the more it reveals. I mean, I think the politics of jazz, you know, all the way up to through the 60s and, and early 70s were just really amazing. I mean, the civil rights movement and and all these things that, that are embedded in, in this really interesting music that, um, you know, I mean, basically it just satisfies everything that interests me, you know, rhythmically, harmonically, 
melodically, socially, politically, spiritually. I mean, pretty much, pretty much covers it all. When did you start singing? Um, I started singing when my voice changed when I was 14, and I was going to Catholic high school, um, so I joined the choir and sang a lot of Vivaldi church music, like the Gloria and things like that. Uh, and then the next year, I auditioned for Cinderella, and I was, I was Prince Charming in Cinderella, which is a little-known fact. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know there was a musical Cinderella. Yeah, Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's actually it's actually really good. Like the music, I mean it's, you know, everybody knows it's kind of a cheesy story, but that was my first break in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're in Catholic high school in Minneapolis, what's it like to be getting into jazz? Did you have friends who were into it too or was it the kind of thing that you do uh, you know, alone in your room at night? Exactly. I had zero friends who were into jazz. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, everybody was, was into hip-hop um, or, you know, what I guess we now call indie rock or grunge. I guess it was grunge then, Nirvana and, and that kind of stuff, which I was too. Um, but jazz just became this kind of secret thing. I, I think that's really why I liked it, because nobody around me knew anything about it. Um, so I was pretty much free to you know, go to the record store and check out Thelonious Monk or Mingus or Nina Simone or anybody that I wanted and just use my own judgment. So it was really, it was actually really good that I didn't know anybody who was into jazz because not knowing any better, I just kind of started at the beginning and started buying um, chronologically, which I think is the best way to appreciate it. You went to school for jazz. You went to the new school. Um, What was it like for you, you know, in the house when you decided that your pursuit of higher education would be at a, you know, an expensive private school where you would be studying a form of art of which there are, you know, 200 professional full-time practitioners (laughs) in the United States. Well, actually, I I came to school really late. You know, I kind of was at the the kind of beginning of, of that process of, you know, jazz really becoming institutionalized heavily um, at Berkeley in the New School and Juilliard and uh, places like that. So, you know, I was still of the old school, like you'd learn it on, on the road and, and um, in the bandstand. So basically from 17 on, I just took as many gigs as I could, um, mostly in Minneapolis doing whatever I could. And it wasn't until 2004, after I got into the Thelonious Monk vocal competition, and I realized I was the only, I think it was like 13 singers and I was the only singer that didn't have a college degree or was um, attending a college program for jazz that I, I said, oh, that's how it's being done today. So actually, that's how I, I went into the new school. Um, and I think it was good that I waited because um, I had a really clear conception of who I I was and who I am as a, as a jazz artist. And I just went in and kind of you know met the people I wanted, got the tools I needed, and didn't really get kind of brainwashed into into something else. I want to play a song from your first album, The Dreamer. Um, this is a song called Park Bench People. It's actually a, a cover of a song by the uh, uh, California hip-hop group, The Freestyle Fellowship. Um, covers are something that are really important in jazz. Jazz is so much built around... Um, uh, as much about interpretation of melody as it is about conceiving of melody. 
in hip hop though a cover is like couldn't be further from what hip hop is about in hip hop you know uh, uh, covering a song is is biting and that's like the worst crime you could possibly do yeah um so tell me why you wanted to bring this idea of uh, of interpreting from jazz uh into the hip hop context well giles peterson um was an A&R of that record and he let me do whatever I wanted but he had a couple of suggestions for covers. And one was Nola from She's Gotta Have It, um, Spike Lee's movie that Bill Lee wrote, his dad. And one was Park Bench People. And to be honest, like I, I didn't know how to even approach it because exactly like you said, that's, you know, biting in hip hop, you know what I mean? But when I really listen to the to the words, most of hip hop is written in the first person you know, I'm going to do this, and this is my story, and this is where I came from. And Park Bench People is, is really a different, it's a departure from that. It's it's um, very jazz-based. I mean, it's based on Freddie Hubbard's Red Clay. So that already made it kind of accessible from a, a, a band standpoint. And the more I kind of listened to it, I got really fascinated by the concept because I had done something kind of similar by putting words to... Um, Equinox by John Coltrane and his solo. And this was sort of the opposite. Um, it was like learning a jazz solo, but the words were already there. And it was a, it was a big challenge. It took me about two months to figure it out. And um, actually got in contact with Freestyle Fellowship because I was nervous about exactly what you said. Um, and I wanted to make sure it was cool with them. And JMD, who's on drums, and Mike and Nine both gave me their blessing. And I said, cool. So we, we dropped it. Let's hear Park Bench People from my guest Jose James's first album, The Dreamer. Bench People from my guest Jose James' first album. You know, I was I was thinking about this idea of combining hip hop and jazz, and um, you know, there were a lot of valiant attempts, especially in the '90s, to do that. And mostly, what they ended up with was either just maybe maybe a hip hop song with one instrumental solo or a hip hop record that just happened to sample a, you know, Ron Carter bassline or Ron Carter playing a Ron Carter bassline or whatever it is. 
um, these sort of kind of half-hearted, awkward pairings of these two very different kinds of music. Um, how do you think it's different for you to be playing jazz music that's uh, so informed by hip-hop in 2010 than it was from those folks that you talked about being influenced by in, you know, 1993? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You know, there's been so many kind of really awkward, awkward things where either, like, the jazz sounds just, you know, really stiff and over the beat and can't really, you know, it's just not that interesting or the kind of hip-hop vibe gets kind of lost. Um, I think all those, most of those projects, I should say, were really about, like, an older generation meeting a younger generation and trying to find some way to talk about it, some some way to, to make it happen. But the main the main issue with those generations is the beat, you know. You know, hip-hop beat is, is very straight, even if it's delayed. You know, everybody's doing these delayed beats and stuff. It's still, like, the and of course jazz is is a swung eighth note you know so rhythmically jazz and hip-hop are never really going to see eye to eye which is fun i think you know people like robert glasper um people like myself you know we just grew up with hip-hop so it's just a normal thing it's the sound of young america i'm jesse thorne my guest is the jazz singer jose james he has two new albums out One of them is Black Magic. Here's the title track. title track from one of Jose James' two new albums, Black Magic. So, Jose, that song was produced by a guy called Flying Lotus, who's based here in Los Angeles. Um, and he is, I guess if you were going to give him, uh, give what he does a name, I guess it would be hip-hop producer. Although, as you can hear from that song, it's um, uh, it's different than most hip-hop. Um so tell me about how you came to work with Flying Lotus, who's really been, you know, in the past few years, really ascendant in the uh, in 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 his particular world of music, whatever you want to call it, and um, how working with him uh, played into that idea of the of the intersections between hip hop and jazz. Yeah, I mean, you know, he comes from from jazz royalty, you know, the Coltrane family. So his aunt is Alice Coltrane, right? Exactly. And, you know, I think he's, well, I know he's really conscious of, of that heritage and sees himself in that lineage and that continuation of, of just sort of like, you know, great black music that's, that's avant-garde. Um, 
I was listening to some Alice Coltrane the other day, actually, and it sounded like a Mad Lib track, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. So, you know, we got together mostly because first I was a fan. I mean, I had heard 1983's first record and then the Reset EP um, had just come out, and he was in London doing promotion for that. And I think he had he'd done a radio show with Giles Peterson the day before, and they said, do you want to meet him? So I went over and I gave him what I was working on, which became The Dreamer. But at the time, it was about 25 or 28 different tracks. And he called me. He said, hey, man, I really love what you do. Like, we should do something. Um, he said, I'm working on this new record called Los Angeles. Why don't we do a track? And he sent me the track that became Visions of Violet, which is really soulful. And, and didn't make the record, but we put it on a vinyl. And most importantly, we found a way to kind of collaborate through soul. Um, I think that's the safe kind of ground where hip-hop and, and jazz can really meet and not really lose um, its kind of essential, essential, um, essential-ness, you know what I mean? So we started on this really soulful thing, and he, he just started sending me all these instrumentals and for Black Magic, I just took a sample, a part of his um, his track, and I just started playing with it. You know, it was a really a really new way for me to um, to compose and, and to think about things lyrically. And I really had to lean on uh, my love for people like Leon Ware, Marvin Gaye, especially the the record I Want You, and also hip hop. And Black Magic was the first track that we both felt was really successful. Uh, we both heard it and said, yeah, man, we're really on to something. So we started just um, making a whole bunch of tracks from that point. Yeah. After a break, we'll hear about Jose James' second new album, a collaboration with the pianist Jeff Neve called For All We Know. It's the sound of young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Production of the sound of young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on this show is the jazz singer Jose James. He has two new albums. Uh, one is uh, called Black Magic. The other is a duo of piano and vocals singing standards called For All We Know. Um, let's hear one more uh, sort of hip-hop and R&B-influenced track from Black Magic. Uh, this is Detroit Love Letter, produced by Moody Man. Forever 
that song has one more uh, influence in it, I think, which is the world of electronic music, and especially kind of this sort of world of uh, new jazz and soulful house music. And I get all these, you know, these genres have very specific adherents who are going to hate me for misusing those <laughs> names. <laughs> but uh, there's, this, uh, there's this world of, uh, you know, very European dance-influenced music that also traces its roots to, you know, orchestral 70s soul and, uh, and things like that. I know, for example, you've recorded with Jazzanova. Um, tell me what you get out of that influence in your music. Well, there's something really... Um powerful about about that beat i mean it's really tribal um you know a lot of the house stuff that's coming out of detroit and chicago you know is just a whole another side of black culture that was a regional thing like like gogo in in dc but clearly you know it was discovered and and it's reverberating to this day throughout europe in in a lot of different ways um i think it's fascinating you know how music just it changes you know i mean you know something like house uh coming from the states can turn into dubstep in london um to me you know spending a lot of time with djs um meeting moody men you know in a club in in london um you get to see how how music makes people move not just physically but emotionally in in a way that um, you know, jazz jazz used to be for dancing. Mostly these days, it's emotional, intellectual music, and I think there's always room to dance in music. I think that's a a primary function of of what music does. It makes you want to move. It makes you want to express your body and feel good about um, the skin you live in. I want to talk about uh, your album with Jeff Neve. Uh, for all we know. As I understand it, this was absolutely recorded as organically as you could possibly record a record. Um, tell me about how it how it came about. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, Jeff has a great radio show in in Brussels in Belgium, and um, when I was when I was touring the Dreamer, I came over to do some promotion, and they requested at the end of the show, which is like a two hour show. With with a live audience and, and a great band, uh, that we do a standard, and I hadn't at that point I hadn't sung standards live for a while. I've been touring the Dreamer for for a while and working on that record for a couple of years, and um, I said, okay, well let's do Lush Life, you know, just because it's really hard, and I wanted to challenge myself, and we played Lush Life with no rehearsal, and we'd never worked together, and we both looked at each other like totally amazed, like how is this happening? Um, and it's kind of like meeting a friend, you know, it's like sometimes you meet somebody, you can't explain why, but you have this instant rapport and, and friendship and you feel like you've known each other forever. Um, and you can fall into the kind of timings of, of jokes and, and conversation. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And it's like, it's like that musically sometimes. And, and when that happens, you just have to grab it, you know? So I had another show in Belgium, in Brussels, also in Belgique with Jonas Policewoman and my piano player couldn't make it so I asked Jeff we did a great show and I went on his radio show again and we did another standard Embraceable You and I said after that I said man this is just ridiculous like we have such a good vibe what are you doing tomorrow and he said I had the day off I said 
you know, let's go into the studio. Let's just put this down. Let's just do all standards. We don't have to worry about anything, you know, with releasing it or a label. We'll just we'll just make it happen just so we can we can have it. Um, and we did. And we went in and luckily we got, you know, the best studio in Belgium, Galaxy. And we had the whole day and we went down and just called tunes, you know, um, and it was amazing. It was all first takes. It was totally relaxed. You know, they cook, they cook a wonderful meal for you and have a full kitchen. And we just hung out, had some wine, and you know, had a good time. And and only afterwards, when we were driving back in the rain, we realized kind of what we had done and how beautiful the, the album really was. Let's hear "When I Fall in Love" uh, from my guest Jose James' album with the pianist Jeff Neve. Uh, for all we know. And the moments I can feel that You feel That way too Is when I fall in When you're singing standards, um, I imagine I, I know you uh, you were doing a lot of gigs in Minneapolis, like as a as a teenager and young twenty something. Um, I imagine that some portion of that was was you doing, um, you know, uh, what might loosely be called dinner music. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what was it like for you to come back into standards after having spent all this time on your, you know, pushing the envelope music? and approach them from this new perspective where it wasn't just about, you know, providing a pleasant backdrop for a wedding reception. Hmm. Um, It's actually, it was a relief, you know, it was like, it was like seeing old friends, you know, I think, um, you know, one of my favorite Coltrane records um, on Impulse is, is the ballads record. And, you know, I, I can only listen to like Ascension you know, so so much of the time, you know, the records that I that I um, 
I put on over and over again are, are very kind of soothing in a way. Um, and it was really, really nice to just say, hey, man, let's, let's play tenderly. Let's play body and soul. And, and also to not play them in a way that um, is kind of trying to go back in any way. Um, all the all the harmonic choices and 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 the conception um, of the piano is very contemporary, contemporary classical, contemporary jazz. Um, I'd been listening to a lot of Keith Jarrett also, um, and I had just seen him at Carnegie Hall, which was an amazing performance. And I think it's it's just nice to um, to kind of experiment and and then to reflect. So, you know, the session for me was just a very, um, very peaceful, very peaceful. And it just, I think, you know, I, I once said to somebody that um, anybody under the age of 30 really can't say anything on a standard. And, and, I, and I know that's a generalization, but I kind of believe that because the songs are written, they're done. I mean, they're, they're masterpieces. Um, and you're never going to sing it better than Ella Fitzgerald or, or Billie Holiday. It's just the fact. The only thing that a contemporary singer can bring to that interpretation is their own life. And I finally feel like I'm at a point where I have something to say. Let's hear one more song from Jose James and Jeff Neves' new collaborative album, For All We Know. Uh, here's the Billy Strayhorn classic, Lush Life. I used to The very gay places Those come what may places Where one relaxes On the axis Of the wheel of life To get the feel of life From jazz and The girls I knew had sad and sullen gray faces with distinguished traces. It used to be that you could see where they'd been washed away by too many through the day. Twelve o'clock tells Then You came along With your siren song To tempt me to madness I thought That your poignant smile was tinged with the sadness of a great love for me. That was a lovely interpretation of the classic song Lush Life from Jose James and Jeff Neve's new album, For All We Know. Jose, thank you so much for uh, taking all this time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was, uh, it was a really pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure for me, too. Jose James' two brand new albums are Black Magic 
and his collaboration with the pianist Jeff Neve for All We Know. Life is lonely again And only last year Everything seems so That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our editor is Nick White, our associate producer, Julia Smith. Christian Natividad is our intern. My dog's name is Coco. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. Should you visit our website, you'll find not only free downloads of every Sound of Young America interview, but also our podcasts, including but not limited to the Sound of Young America. You can check out Jordan, Jesse, Go, Stop Podcasting Yourself, the Casper Hauser Comedy Podcast, and more, all free at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time right here on the Sound of Young America.